0: listen to the big kickoff. Morning, welcome to the big kickoff on Liffy Sound ninety six point four FM. Dave's not with us today. So we have to get someone to come in and try and fill in the big boots that were uh, is gonna be a void this morning and Gav Nolan has delightedly come in today. Gav, good morning. Good morning Shannon, how are you? Great,
1: great. What have you done over the weekend? That um, spectacular. No, not too much. I was working um and I got the call off you yesterday to come in and uh, fill fill Bugo shoes and there are very big shows tonight. No, you're,
0: you're under severe pressure. Yeah, you're under sure. severe pressure. Uh, we only we need to get the people listening in because of bugo. So uh, it's it's going to be a struggle who, today. Who's
1: going to beat the brain this
0: week? No one. Oh, like, <laughs> absolutely. So he's undefeated. Again <laughs> no one, this one beats week. him ever. So no, yeah. So, I know, yeah. <laughs> okay, on the show today we have one of Ireland's best coaches ever to come out of the country, Jim Kealty, and that's going to be a hugely interesting interview Uh, also we will look back at some of the greatest interviews ever I suppose in any sport and there's a few little buttes there that we have and all the other regular normal stuff I think what we'll do is we'll go straight into a song what's the first song Gav Uh, the first song is by the blizzards and it's fantasy off you go Um, welcome back to the big kickoff off on Liffey Sound 96.4 uh, FM. If you want to contact us, it's 87 62 uh, We're on TuneIn Radio. Of course, you're listening in there. and uh, Look at our Facebook page. You'll see us now up on uh, Mixcloud and Soundcloud and every other bloody podcast place you can see. Gav, we're going into news stories. What have you got? I'm going to start off with
1: uh, Juan Mata, uh, the Manchester United midfielder. So he's come out now and he's decided to donate
0: 1% of his salary to charity, Right, which now, is very generous. It, it, it's, it's ve- you'll say it's very generous. And uh, there's been a bit on the radio about this. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you ever heard the two mics, they're on Talk Sport. And Are the they Americans? No, English. Okay. And they were slagging the hell out of him, saying it's pitiful. But it's be- is it not better than nothing? It's, uh, I, I think it's better than nothing. Let's put it this way: if every Premiership player put in one yeah. percent, all of a sudden, then you know. Do you remember back in the day? I'm not sure if this is how
1: true it is, but it was uh, the first person to deny their uh, testimonial wages.
0: First player, who was it? it wasn't? Qu- no, it wasn't Quinn. Was it Quinn? Apparently so. Yeah. Was it? Apparently it was Noel Quinn. Yeah. No way. And then others followed suit. Was that Sunderland or Ireland? I think it was Sunderland. I think I remember Sunderland that they were. That was before the 2002 World Cup, would it have been? I think they were going to the World Cup. Possibly. That was his last. Yeah, I think that's when it was. Yeah. And there was a million or something like that that he, he, he donated. Yeah, I very generous. That, yeah. Um, yeah, so one matter, um wants to donate
1: his salary and it got me thinking. So, Pogba. Yeah. If he was to donate 1% of his uh, annual wage to salary. What, what do you think it was? What is it? Um, I'm not sure. Give us a show. How much do you think he's on? How much is um, how much is he, he on? on I don't know, bit he he's about two hundred grand, is he? He's two hundred grand a year. No a week. No, he's on four hundred and fifty thousand euro.
0: He is not a week. Is he? Yeah, he is, yeah. It's ridiculous money, so so one percent. Imagine all the Premiership footballers now. who did a one percent take. As uh, you say, much? it's the least they can do. The least it can do. No. You know? Yeah, yeah. Now, the, the Tim Wake's argument was: if it was a bin man and he was offering one percent of his wages, uh, you know, over the year, and it was one hundred and fifty quid, you say, well done, you know, yeah, right? yeah, well. So they were putting that point across, but I think. You know, anything well, it, that's given, it is, 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 is it into something that's. Big. At least he started
1: the conversation. Yeah, I think. So. you know what I mean? So it's, it's possibly, it's, it's a good thing. You know, yeah. it can only get better. So, yeah.
0: rugby, they have they launched the Pro Fourteen this week. So it was the Pro Twelve, and yeah. now it's the it's a Pro Fourteen, and basically what they've done is they've tried to tap into the South African franchise and added two more teams. So the format is going kind to... Of, they'll have a Conference A, they'll have a Conference B. And I think it's the Cheetahs from South Africa and the Kings. Now, I don't think these two are the biggest of teams down mm. there, but they're going to travel to the UK and Ireland to play basically... Well, not the UK, Wales, Scotland and, 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 and Ireland to play the best that we have. I think it just adds a little bit of a, a, a something to the Pro 12, because yeah. we're well, Pro 14 now, because... I watch it sometimes but now it's a bit of South Africa in it. It's kind of making it, well, now there's real competition in it because, you know, Munster, Leinster, you know Ulster, they've always been up there when you, you're kind of seeing Edinburgh and Glasgow and stuff and you're like, oh, it's yeah, the same every year. They should just, beat them, you know, them, yeah. you know? They, you're thinking they should beat them. Now there's a bit of a, a, an edge to it. The system, to, to try and explain the, the, the group system, well, I can't because it's, it's, it's a bit all over the place. I think sure. it goes into a playoffs uh, at the end of the season. Yeah, yeah? It, it, I think basically the top, six is it top six will qualify for the European competition yeah. and then they go into a sort of a playoff system but uh, it'll be interesting anyway just to have the South African teams in.
1: now I have another piece of news there um, do you know who Steph Curry is? Uh, I didn't until we came in this morning but you go and tell everyone so Steph Curry are, he's also known as Wardle Stephen Curry Second. he's an NBA player playing for Golden State Warriors NBA um, based out of Oakland, California so he's a fantastic player, so he wanted to try his hand at golf, professional yeah. golf. So he's after getting an invite over the weekend to play in um, the Ellie May Classic at the TPC. So a lot of the professional golfers were a little bit uneasy with him going in. Now, know? is this the, is,
0: is this on it's the, an, on it's the major tier? Know. On the major tour? No, it's not. No, so this is a, no, no.
1: probably second tier. Second tier, tournament, okay. You yeah. know what I mean? But a couple of the pro golfers were sort of given out, and one guy in particular, um, he turned around. Douie. Uh, Van der Vault says, If Steph Curry breaks eighty, I will eat my golf bag. Oh, so Steph Curry went out the first day and he shot a seventy-four. Lovely, so the golf right, bag no. a no, you know, So it was the second the second uh, round he says if he breaks eighty, he's okay. Not, so the first round's a fluke, that's basically what he right, said. Okay. If he breaks it again, I'll eat my golf bag. Lo and behold, what did he shoot the second round? Right. Seventy four. Seventy four again. Seventy four. Yeah, he missed the cut, but you know, he didn't do himself any uh, any shame at all, yeah. you know. That's,
0: that's, that's good going,
1: isn't it? I did ask him, though, um, are you going to do with Michael Jordan? Because Michael Jordan, when he left for basketball, right. he went to try his hand at golf as well. Yeah. So uh, Curry didn't. He's, he's going back. And something interesting as well, he played the round of golf in his
0: basketball sneakers. He did. Not. He did. Are you allowed to do that? I don't know. I thought you had to have some sort of um, spikes. I know they're, they're not the, the, the old spikes now. It's the kind pla- of the, the plastic You I'd say like the, green,
1: the greenkeeper was happy because there's no spikes if he's wearing just trainers. Yeah, I thought...
0: Um, you know, anyway, made them happy. We, maybe we won't go too deep into that. Anyhow, he shoved it down his throat. Good. Yeah. Uh, Manchester United have found a new advertising match. With Tinder, did you hear this? Yeah, I was reading this during the week. But it's interesting because they're talking about this is the sleeve advertisements now that they're going to put on it. Uh, Twelve million a year, they're going to Tinder. Now I would have thought Tinder, who are widely world renowned. Wouldn't need any advertising now at this stage. Why do would need to pay twelve million a year to go on Manchester United sleeve? Maybe it's just to say you're on Manchester United sleeve. I don't know. But think of the publicity they're after getting now. It is already. But, well, that's it. That's no. true. Yeah. So anyone who's uh, lonely out there now and a Manchester United fan is going straight on Tinder. <laughs> but where does this lead to then? I mean, you have one little Tinder uh, sponsorship on the sleeve. Does it lead to? Loads of. I mean, is, is there going to be a sleeve full of advertisement? Is it could it get could it get messy? Do you know, because you, you like to have a shirt in a certain way. You, you don't have too much. You know, sometimes it's less is more. Look at the top I'm wearing. It's the Liverpool top, and it's now my eyes are boring. <laughs> but it's Beth Victor. Yeah. So they
1: sponsor the actual training tops. Right. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. there's an additional sponsor. They're right. not the, they're not the
0: main sponsor main for Liverpool. Sponsor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually didn't even notice that. Yeah. How there I you go. It's all money isn't it, and I yeah. think uh, United are getting sponsorship left, right and centre then. Gav, any more? No, um, that's, that's, all that's have, what that's you have.
1: I have uh, one more story, it's about um, a women's football team, and they got beaten um, 40 goals to nil at the weekend.
0: <sighs> How did you do that?
1: Um, RNAS, uh Coldwell's ladies, they could only field eight players on the day, and they got hammered 40 nil. Um, it's been a tough season. For them, in eleven games, they've conceded one hundred and seventy-seven goals. Holy many? They've scored three. They must have been monumental times for them. And they have one win to their name, and that came from a walkover. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to add up the match there. It was like, they got three goals. What did they win by? Was it, it? I was reading about the match report as well, and um, it was only four nil after twenty minutes. But then the floodgates opened. Forty
0: nil. I mean. You would mustn't you, be on the attack at all. Would you not pack it in? I would. But, but then again, I suppose it's good for people to uh, to have... I think they should try a different for maybe. Maybe, notes. yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sylvester Stallone announced Creed 2. Now, I haven't seen Creed. I've seen all the other ones. No, I haven't seen have it. You have you not seen it either? Seen it, no. And uh, from what I've heard, it's an excellent film. No. Uh, Balboa. I watched Balboa. That's a few years ago now. That was the last of the ones that i seen, and it was excellent. But Sylvester Stallone announced that Creed Two was coming out, and Ivan Drago is going to oh, make an appearance. Huh? So he says, uh, now Stallone is 70 now, so I don't know what way it is, but he announced that there there may be a, a few digs involved so whether it's going to be outside the rig or inside the ring but it'll be interesting you know you can't Rocky kind of gets you going right? you know yeah. anytime you watch Rocky it's a bit you, you know want to fight afterwards the worst fight ever like no no defence or that and just yeah. smacking the head off each other but it's always, uh, it's always decent here look I was listening I was looking at the um, transfer market mm. alright and I, I, there's a few here from 1996 and Spain England and Italy Ronaldo went to Barcelona for a mere 12.8 million oh no at that stage it would have been brilliant but some of the names when you look at the list of the names here Rivaldo, Suker, uh, Giovanni, Romario all going for three million and four million imagine you had the, the players like that yeah from from England uh, I think Ravinelli went to Middlesbrough for seven million there was the likes of Frank Leboeuf for 2.5 who did a decent job but in Italy Zidane went to Juventus for 3.2 million. Oh, what a steal that was actually still then because yeah. England Newcastle bought Alan Shearer for fifteen million the very yeah, same remember, summer. Yeah. That's unreal, that isn't that money well spent by Newcastle? <sighs> there's a few clubs I think missed out Zidane, though, didn't they? Oh, it was definitely Shearer. Shear Wasn't Bank, he going he to on. United? No, I don't think he was ever going was to. He United. No, he not in his mind anyhow. He United were in from, but they he didn't want that to do. And what Newcastle came in, that was it. In fairness, at least there's a bit of loyalty yeah, there yeah, from yeah. him, you know. But he, I don't, he never won anything with them, no. did he? If he had gone to United he would have cleaned up. Cleaned up. Mm. Turam for four point five million. Just the list is endless. It's, it's unbelievable, some of the things. Did
1: you see the Athletics last night? I think the hundred th- meter final? No, I didn't
0: see it. So it was Usain Bolt's
1: last race, um, trying to go out on it with a win, you know, but he was beaten. And you know who beat him? It's not Gatlin, was it? Justin Gatlin. It
0: was it Gatlin? Uh, I, I, the I guy who was um,
1: served at doping Band from two thousand six to two thousand and ten. So it was real. Um, he, he came out last night, Gatland, and it was basically built. The whole stadium built. Oh, way. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was, it's not often you see it on athletics, but um, he, he wanna, he, he's 35 years of age, and you want to see him? He can go. He's
0: 35, tr- is he? Gatland? yeah. So there's no real excuse for Bolt. Now, Bolt, I was looking at the times. Bolt uh, was about 200th of a second behind his, in his best. Yeah. for the year so he was going to be struggling now i think in fairness i think the problem with because i watched a documentary during the week i am bolt It was called i think it was on our uh, bbc and it was fascinating yeah. how often he would be in the zone and then for a matter of months he would go over and lose concentration he said it's far too hard to just keep motivated especially when you've won three olympics now i think that's one of the reasons why he was packing it in because he couldn't get that motivation anymore So he is slowing down as well he is he slowing down he's getting as a little, as little as bit older yeah well. I think you know. so maybe but he, didn't he win the last race before this I think he won the last race before this did he not I might be in, wrong in, in the heats no um, oh, in, the, in, the, in the last you know the way they, they do the, yeah. the tour around I think he, I think he did well but uh, yeah it's a pity but I mean he is a legacy there I mean Gat- Gatland is never going to have that you know, never, gonna have, never gonna have it. Yeah, he beat him, but uh, Bolt's been beaten before. He, he, he hasn't been, you know. He, but Ali was was beaten plenty yeah. of times before. That doesn't make him any less, you no, know, lesser of a of a great man. The,
1: the best ever, I'd say. And um, did you see Mount the other night? I seen the finish. Oh, tell you what, that pace, uh, twenty six minutes and forty nine seconds. Yeah. Um, now you a, do a bit. Of, you do a bit of running. Yeah. It, right. It, if you do a five k in that, that's. He'd be doing well do you know what i mean and what was the distance 10k 10 10? oh but man. some of the lap times like 60 seconds around the track and I, the finish was fantastic did you see him kick away yeah
0: oh, i seen it on the distance. last corner and you're always looking because i was looking at um A- eamon Cochran last night just doing research and stuff like that and he was the same thing once you got to the last 200 meters you're on the edge of it. The- well, he he looked unstoppable like he just Put the foot down. He was gone. They, could, they couldn't keep up. No, you can't keep up with him no. now. And that thing. But that was his pace. If you have pace, you're a winner. You know, there's plenty of them who can get around at that speed till the last 200. A right? lot of questions around doping as well, on I mean. him. So, <laughs> but does that not come? With, did Bolt not have to deal with that a little bit at the time? I think there was a time when Bolt, what, there was questions being asked, but they could never put the finger on him. The you're, questions will always, be asked, always if, be. asked if you're that good and that fast. Yeah. But to see him the other night go away from the field like that in the last. The last lap or so, you know, just yeah. Well, he's obviously one of the greats now as well, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yeah. The Olympics in 2028, uh, the green light is being given to Los Angeles to take up the Olympics. I think Paris were in the running, and who? Someone pulled out. I'm not sure who pulled out, but anyhow, basically those 2024, 2028 uh, Olympics, and they both agreed to take one each. So Paris is 2024 and Los Angeles 2028. <sighs> now we talk about athletics and you talk we've talked about cycling in this program before. When you talk about it, that drug thing always pops up. Mm. And has that lessened, do you think, the Olympics?
1: It's it's hard to know what's going on. Yeah. It really is. Do you remember the time with all the Chinese when and they they were
0: running away with everything? That was Sania. Remember Sania yeah. Sullivan? She was in the peak of her farm, and all of a sudden these came out of nowhere. And she was, they were getting hammered like. Yeah, no. no. That, that we'd always remember that because we'd be a bit bitter of about course. it. But, uh, yes. yeah, but that, that, that's the exact same thing. That's exact same thing. Broadcasting to Lucan, this is Lippy Sound. 96.4 FM. And welcome back to the big kickoff on 96.4 FM. Yeah, you can hear me now. Okay. Great sporting interviews well some great sporting interviews uh and some well some funny ones we, we we'll start off with Gavin Gav, you have one with Floyd mayweather, so Floyd mayweather
1: was fighting um a guy called Ortiz back in the day, and he, a lot of people might remember this fight, so Ortiz stuck the head into him when Floyd mayweather was against the ropes. referee stopped the fight and went over give him a give him a talking down and Ortiz went over to apologise to um, to Mayweather uh, had his gloves down at the time went to hug him Mayweather bang bang knocked into to the canvas Right. So, uh, so it was a cheap shot it was a cheap shot yeah it was a cheap shot I think it was anyway but Floyd Mayweather came out and what did he say gloves up protect yourself at all times right. that's the first thing you're told as a boxer so what's this interview the interview is with um, a guy called Larry Merchant he he uh,
0: He's famous he's, over in America. He's famous now, over he? America.
1: He's an elderly man, and he's a good age, and he was interviewing Floyd, May, Floyd Mayweather, and he was basically saying to him, you know, it was a cheap shot, what do you think, blah, blah, blah. You know. So um, okay. let's, let's play the interview and see what happens. True.
2: You were in charge of the fight. You were aggressive and
3: trying and taking advantage of what you, know you are doing. You know what I'm going to do,
4: because you don't ever give me a fair shake, you know that? So I'm going to let you talk to Victor Ortiz, all right? I'm through. They put somebody else up and give me an interview. Talk what, to what are you Victor talking Ortiz? about? What you you, you talking heard him. You never give me a fair shake. HBO needs to fire you. You don't know shit about boxing. You ain't shit. You're, you got shit. I wish I was 50 years younger you know, and I'd man. kick your ass. You won't do shit, you don't do don't shit do
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're hoping someone kicks his ass, but. I'd say I geez, I don't like Mayweather at all. I'm the same. I'm not. I'm not a Mayweather fan. I'm not one for. And see, Conor McGregor's kind of going down the same route. Now I don't know if it's all show with Conor McGregor, and it's but Mayweather. This thing of every picture he takes is with a whole load of money, and he's yeah. throwing it around, and all that gets up my. Is he not broke? Well, the taxman is after. Yeah, him. I think the tax man's after him. So he's he's he's. I think he was he was struggling, but as in struggling to keep his lifestyle going. You know, but I mean, 100, 150 million, whatever it is, from the next fight, that's going to help out, isn't it? Yeah, Big time. Um, I'll just do a quick one here. Brian Clough's always good for a, a, a little interview quote, and uh, I think this is about Brian Clough. It's the way he talks about his players, and it's the way he, he, he has his unique way, but this is a classic Brian Clough quote. The
5: playing staff comes in and says, boss, I think, you've got, I think you're doing this wrongly well I ask him which way he thinks it should be done we get down to it and then we talk about it for 20 minutes and then we decide I was right
0: as simple as that mm. Brian Clough is unique in, in, in the way he did things I was looking at different clips last night of him and any time he had players standing beside them, they were like little school boys, that they stood right beside him and never said hands behind the back I think he like, had that bit of fear about him did didn't he? yeah he did yeah 100%
1: any other quotes there? Uh, do, you, do you know, is, is, that, is that story true about um, Roy Keane and Brian Clough? Where Keane get the ball away and after the match. So it led to a goal, Roy Keane, he was in possession, get the ball away. The other team got the
0: ball, scored. Keane went into the dressing room afterwards and Clough decked him. <laughs> it is true. And he said he never get the ball away. <laughs> yeah, again. He, it was true because I was looking at uh, the clip last night of Roy Keane explaining it. Right, so it did happen And it, he, he turned around and He said, "Just yeah He says, uh, Cloughy came in And uh, he basically decked me <laughs> he, he gave me a dig And uh, he said he was right you know the way is?
6: He was right
1: <laughs> <laughs> The next clip I have here um, Everybody uh, in this country Be familiar with it So um, it doesn't need any introduction Let's play it
4: Eddie's a solid competitor Eddie's a warrior But he, he shouldn't have been in here with me And that's just That's just truth of it. Connor, this is a, obviously a massive, massive accomplishment. But at this stage of your career, what challenges you now? Now that you are a two-division champion, are your thoughts to try to defend both titles? Are your thoughts to stay at lightweight? What do you want to do? said, thanks everyone for coming out. I love every one of you, I swear to God. He's traveled the world with me. There's a reason why we're at the top of the game. Because of me and because of you. And I appreciate every single one of you look what's next for me joe i'm gonna get that second belt where the is it they should have had their two belts ready spish on for me they're both in the octagon it's never been done before i'm sure you'll get your second belt but listen i've spent a lot of time joe slaying everybody in the company backstage i'm starting to fight off everybody i've ridiculed everyone on the roster i just want to say from the bottom of my heart I'd like to take this chance to apologise to absolutely nobody. The double champ does what the <laughs> he wants.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a <laughs> great one, isn't it? If there's and he's a showman, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, well, uh, now, I didn't like the, May- the Mayweather and, and McGregor Press conference. The world tour. That was yeah. overblown, and you know it was turned into a past like, fire. Is boxing not like a circus like that? Yeah, then? but I think it was real gore stuff. You know, yeah, I think. Yeah. And after the first and second one, then the third and fourth were just repetitive. But yeah. he is good for the sport. Obviously, he is, and as he says himself, he's building up the sport. He's he's the fa- he's the face for them now. You know, I mean, the, all the others are equally as good fighters and blah blah blah. But he, how do you think the to go? I know you were talking to uh, Joyce last week yeah well any boxing purist is going it's to say so, yeah. and I've listened to on Sky Sports ESPN and not a chance um, so what
1: happens if McGregor wins
0: yeah boxing's yeah. over
1: really uh, well, will all the other MMA artists be coming out saying oh, I fancy myself as a boxer
0: no I think McGregor has this belief and it's, it's different for him I think yeah. he puts his mind to if he puts his mind down to being the best golfer in the world he'll go out he'll, and he'll, he'll He'll do a decent job, you know. He's he's just one of those people who's stubborn minded and put whatever he puts his mind to, he's gonna do. That doesn't mean he's gonna I don't know how much of a chance he has. I think he has the fighters chance. I think he'll go in, he'll probably rough your man up for the first round, maybe second get the, round. Get the crowd going. But is he good enough? Is, it's a huge question. Massive question. Okay. We have uh, we just talked about Roy Keane. And the thing is, Roy Keane—he has this look about him, doesn't he? Like you—you—you mm. you, you could look. There's, there was a a clip I was looking at just on on researching this, and I can see it now. Roy Keane losing his temper with the reporter. The, I think the reporter asked him about: uh, Was he going to when he was at Ipswich? Uh, was he going to resign? What what was his future? And he just stared at. Him. And no, it was his answer. And you could, you could nearly see the, the, your man shake. And he goes, I, 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 I was told to ask that question. In other words, like, don't don't kill me. And, and he says, I'm not answering that question. And he says, so, so you're going to stay on? Of course. <sighs> so he, he just gives you that starey look. But this is the one where Roy Keane was, again, with Ipswich. And he's doing a press conference. And uh, one of the reporters' phone rang. And we'll play it from there. I
5: think... Did he bend the rules a little bit? Yeah, but we see cheating going on all the time in games. Players diving, when I'm what I say, I, the is full of it. But should it be stopped the cheating? Yeah, of course. Nobody, nobody wants to cheat. <laughs> Which phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Oh yes, oh, my
2: phone,
5: sorry. Why don't you turn it off? Oh, shit, no, that's the second time it's gone off. Why don't you put it on silent? No, it's not the second time. Well, why don't you turn it off?
2: Well,
5: I'll turn it off in a minute. You're just going to
2: let it
0: ring? Well,
5: I thought I'd let it ring out. All right, that's, that's good manners. <clears throat> <laughs>
0: <laughs> you just have to look at him and you can't stop laughing. he would be sweating if that was you, wouldn't you? He is so serious, isn't he? Like, he, I, lo- I love the way he's serious because yeah. I think, listen, he's 100% behind what he believes in. But that, that stare, he it just, you know. But he still does it to this day. Yeah, even when he's been interviewed with Ireland and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, it's, it's so serious and you know when, you, when he looks at you, he, he, there's, no, there's no real messing with him, is there? Like, what, what was the thing that happened a while ago
1: when um, one of the, uh, the players in the international team, his wife had a baby and he was asked the question, oh, is he going to be there? Yeah. Oh. What the change around this Of course, he—he's not going to be breastfeeding. Yeah, that. yeah, it's not allowed. <laughs> he was deadly serious <laughs> yeah, when he said yeah. it, and the whole, all the, all the journalists and all like erupted laughing. And Cain, like maybe, like breaks, cracks a little smile yeah. just to show him, okay, maybe. I
0: think he's—he's he's typical of old school where nowadays it's like, oh, it's you know, we get it now. at uh, at the lower level. Oh, it's me, it's, it's my me granddad's seventieth birthday. Yeah. You know. Oh, I might be, I don't think I'll be at the match. Why won't you be at the match? It's a birthday all day. Get up, you know that sort of way. But I would think that way, and people probably of my age and era would think that way. But now everything is so like, oh, you know, it's my my mum is has a special dinner on, and I won't be up. But God, it's gone. Heat it up. (laughs) Ah, that drives me mad. Well, you can't talk about interviews without talking about one of the the best rants ever. Kevin Keegan, who was with Newcastle United. Uh, at the time and Manchester United the two of them are going for the league uh, and Alex Ferguson I think he got into his head a little bit I think they were talking about teams he, he did get in his head I can't really remember what it was Was it, it was talking about some team who kind of lay down I think they were playing uh, in, in this match and he was talking about the previous teams who lay down for Newcastle and they're, they're letting them win and there's no motivation and all. it was classic Ferguson it was classic Ferguson, it was classic Ferguson wasn't it? Wasn't it? Yeah, of course it was and, uh, and it worked Kevin Keegan. Let, let, let Kevin Keegan do the talking. All right. We, we
2: just want to keep our hopes alive. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of things have been said over, over the last few days. Some some of it almost slanderous. And uh, we've never commented. We've just gone on working, try, trying to pass the ball like we do in training. Right. No, no. I think things have been said about, I think you've got to send Alex Ferguson a tape of this game, haven't you? Isn't that what he asked for? Well, I'm sure if he was watching it tonight, could, tonight, Kevin, he could have no arguments about the way Leeds went about their job and really, really and, tested and, your team. And we're, we're, we're playing Knott's Forest on Thursday, and he objected to that. Now that was fixed up months ago. We were supposed to play Knott's Forest. I mean, that sort of stuff, we're, it, it's been, we're, be- we're bigger than that. Well, that's you part know? and parcel of the psychological battle, Kevin, is No, it? that's... No, when you do that with footballers, like he said about Leeds, and when you do things like that about a man like Stuart Pearce... I've kept really quiet, but I'll tell you something, he went down in my estimation when he said that, we have not resorted to that, but I'll tell you, you can tell him now if you're watching it, we're still fighting for this title, and he's got to go to Middlesbrough and get something, And, and I'll tell you, honestly, I will love it if we beat them, love it.
0: Oh Kevin huh? <laughs> How long ago was that Because that clip Looks very old That Well you can We can see By the, the sky logo And stuff like that I think that would have been 94 I was thinking Mid 90s or yeah, something Yeah 95 I think it might even might have been 96 But uh, I remember it at the time That was the turning point Oh it was in all the papers The next yeah, day was, yeah. Kevin Keegan Lose it and This is where the the Mind games team Came into prominence You're a United fan right yeah.
1: So it, it was United Versus Newcastle For, yeah. for the league Pretty much right yeah. Um, how far were you behind
0: at this stage do you remember because I I presume Newcastle were leading and Ferguson wanted Newcastle were leading for most of the season from what I remember I think there might have been something like an eight point gap or whatever like that and then they started to wobble a bit and it's a bit like Arsenal in in March there's always Mm. that wobble Ferguson always talked about that's the most important time of the year once you're in touch and distance that's when Man United you know don't buckle and all these other teams do and that's what happened and kevin keegan at that stage if they were playing well and winning wouldn't have broke down like that but he could see probably that his team were shaking the wheels were coming off the wheels were coming off yeah. and that's where that ran. i can out. just imagine uh, ferguson sitting at home watching this saying oh yes yes you know, <laughs> my plan is working you know Powering out a bottle of whiskey yeah <laughs> um okay i'm gonna finish off with one last one uh the galway races were on this week have you ever go down to the Galway races? Never been. Something I'd like to do. Um but do you go to racing at all? Not never been. I have do been
1: you nowhere. Know sorry. Uh, uh, greyhound racing. A greyhound. Usually racing. with the football team. Yeah. yeah, yeah You yeah, know yeah, where yeah. you go in you just at Christmas.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh I I was once. I was in a, a, a VIP section of the Curra and it was great. You know, walking in and they give you a little does hey, hey, VIP, get you. Well, you have your own seats, so you go upstairs, you sit down, you have your own seats, but you have your own bar. Uh, only a handful of people there, so there's no one really. Uh, they give you a, a champagne when you go in and stuff like that, Do you know. It was great. We went in uh, when was it April, March, or April? And we had the uh, probably five or six different seasons in one day. Yeah. It was glorious for one race, there was hailstones, then we couldn't see the, the for another race, we couldn't see it because it was fog. It was just one of those mad Irish days, but. The Galway races are on this week and I I'd, I'd love to go down to the Galway races. Uh, I heard it's mad down there. Yeah. I heard it's a bit the Galway is a bit Klikenny stag heavy stag weekend feel for that to for it. that week. It's just mad. Yeah. It's just absolutely mad. But there was a race and uh, a horse called Top of the Town and John or Josh Sheehan Basically, this is his horse. Uh, he wouldn't be renowned for, all, for ownership. And I think we'll let Josh talk about it. Basically, he has a horse in the race. And uh, if his horse does well, well, he'll tell you exactly himself.
4: Top of the town, of course, we had some great interviews with Josh and the boys out the Top of Town Syndicate. So I suppose we're going to have that word in here now. Imagine what you do if he wins <laughs> if, if, if this horse wins God we will never again see the likes of it anyway anyone in the world you wouldn't see the likes of this uh, look the, the, the round's gone against us so but, but, well, I'm playing all week I slept with the horse last night for two hours, and uh, I'm rubbing his belly, I- I'm talking to him. He he, he loves the last interview. I- I- we-, we are we fears hopeful, hopefully. And Davey Russell's deserted. Were you a bit disappointed with that? I- I'm waiting to meet Davey later on, let me tell you. But, uh... Oh, he's well Oh, he's well Oh, resort, but look, we are hopeful, we are hopeful. Um, please God, yeah, look, the, the horse in good form. It is a savage, savage race. 130 was a hard mark. But uh still I as I'm praying and hopefully there'll be a miracle here today. And as I say if there is, this place is going to be a <laughs>
6: wreck.
4: <laughs> yes! We're going to do it! <laughs> And Josh, Josh, between yourself and myself, yeah. we won't tell too many people, what's, cha- what's Charles Byrne said about me? <laughs> the same as I told you last time, very little, <laughs> <Hey>! <laughs> that, that's all I'll ever say. but ladies I'm still single anyway, just in case you're all wondering. I, I went on this say, Kev, where's your this one now? I took this woman out last week, 14 gin and tonics 7.90 ago, and then she said my mother was outside to take me home,
6: <laughs> <laughs>
4: it was a costly I Especially after losing all the money. Why? <laughs> then you go bought me this too from the women for the last uh, So we are living hope. Hopefully. Please don't hope, hope. stop. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> Uh, hey, 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 where's our man that le- the-, the wife left him the wife two left weeks? The oh, there he is here. Come in here, you. You're nearly more famous than Josh. Is <laughs> yeah. uh, yourself and the wife He's back okay. strong again? Everything is 100% again, thanks for the God. Oh, yeah. She's like the loon. She went She's berserk. Like and of everything. course, you obviously
5: had to disappoint the kids. You said That's if you were winning in
4: Limerick, you were going to Disneyland. You are going to Ballybunion instead. We're going to Disneyland. Oh, well, you're going to Disneyland. We're, we're going. We're great. definitely going this time. Great. Good stuff. Made up our minds, we'll and go. Josh, how many did you bring down this evening from Askeem? 54 of us come down. And I'm pleading with... I pleaded with you last time to come to the zone. I am pleading with you now. Any brownie points you have with the Lord above, get down your knees now and play this horse gets in tonight. Oh, that's all. Oh, that's all.
0: Okay, welcome back to Liffey Sound 96.4 FM and we are back in time. This year is 1994 and of course in 1994 we had the World Cup. What do you remember from the World Cup, Gav? I was away at the time, uh, USA
1: 94. I think I was over in uh, Portugal. How were when, you? When we were playing um, Italy. Yes. And I've, that's the, one, the only really game I really remember. That's the only game I
0: you remember? Trust. What age were you then?
1: 14. Were you? Yeah, yeah. I was on a family holiday back then. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, well. And we were watching with a lot of English fans and stuff. It was just.
0: And how what was that English going fans? down with the English fans? The English fans cheer for us, did like, they? Of course, they did. You yeah. know, the underdogs then. Yeah, of course, I suppose yeah. real underdogs then. Um, yeah. So normally we do a little bit of uh, a, a sport and story. So, and this sport and story links up with back in time. This is from the '94 World Cup. Uh, this is Jason McIntyre. I'm telling this funny story from 1994
5: so I manages to get to Giant Stadium and uh, we get into the dressing room we're there an hour and a half before and then um, and then we go out and uh, I'll set the scene there's like 100,000 people at Giant Stadium it's 100 degrees there's millions watching around the world my family and my friends are in the crowd it's the most proudest moment of my life we come out onto the pitch Ireland have lined up here Norway have lined up here and the referees in the middle like you see with the Champions League now so that last anthem starts. Anyway, I've got my chest out. I've got John Aldridge here and I've got Roy Keane standing this side of me. I used to stand, try and stand next to one of my heroes because I used to think he'd rub off on me and I'd play even better. So I had John there. Roy was rubbish so, here. So I'm standing there with my chest out like this. So anyway, I've, I've looked down the line and Andy Townsend, he's whispered into Paki here. And then Packie bon is then whispered into Teddy Feelings here. Then it goes into Paul McGrath's. And it goes down the lines into Steve Staunton's. So it's coming up to John. And I'm thinking to myself, when John comes to me, all you've got to do, because I'm not the brightest button in the box, I'm thinking to myself, just listen, right? It's obviously going to be last-minute instructions, like don't give the ball away, you know, keep it tight, we only need a draw. I'm thinking it's going to be instructions like this. So it gets to John. So I'm standing there with my chest out. So the next thing, John leans across, and he just whispers in me, and he goes, F, bird with the Viking hat. <laughs> He went, look at the size of air boobs. <laughs> and then he went to me, pass it on. <laughs> so I've gone, Jesus Christ, they're massive. <laughs> so I've gone, Jesus Christ, it's Roy. <laughs> and I went to up, it's Roy. He went, just tell him. So I went, I can't. He went, just tell him. So I went, keep it tight, Roy. Don't give the <laughs> ball away, <laughs> don't give the ball
4: <laughs> That's the truth,
0: That's the truth. Jason McIntyre does one thing He tells a good story anyhow, is brilliant, isn't isn't it? He's brilliant uh, Classic 94 I think we go straight to a song What's the song, Gav? The song
1: is uh, Teens Can Only Get Better by D-Rim You can walk my path You can wear
6: my shoes Land a truck like me and be an angel too But maybe You ain't never
0: gonna feel this way And welcome back to Liffy Sound 96.4 FM uh, 94, yeah, the World Cup So you only remember, Gav, um... The first game against Italy. Well, uh, no, it's that's the fondest one. Like that's really sticks out in my mind. You I know? don't think there was too much after that anyway, was with Norway, nil nil, um wasn't it the rant from uh John Aldrich? Oh Mexico on the sideline. Mexico do you know what we should have had that clip. Oh. I never even thought of that clip, but that was uh that was classic, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Typical FIFA. The, they, they make things awkward don't they they make yeah. things it's like all the cheating in football now it's, it's so long now people are cheating and, with diving and, and they haven't put their, their hand on it at all and same with this thing you know about letting people on the pitch did, did we have 10 men on at the time and we couldn't get Aldridge on get Aldridge on and then yeah. in pure frustration he went, we went on and, and scored went and scored <laughs> yeah. well, I think Mexico had a better team that day already Yes. Ah, yeah, they yeah, murdered us. Yeah, ah, they murdered us. Yeah. I think the heat didn't do us any favours. We're, we're not good. Steve Staunton was a shadow of a former self, you know. Wasn't
1: that the World Cup where Ireland warranted water breaks? Yes. And FIFA originally said no. Yeah, and then a the, the doctor came out and says yeah, well, they, they needed know,
0: to. Yeah, Dehydration and stuff yeah, so like you that. You know ourselves. We're playing, playing in the summer and, and, yeah. and it's top heat, you need that. Especially at our their age. <laughs> uh, so, listen, we go, we listen. Ray Houghton scored an unbelievable goal against Italy uh, for us. We, we could have went with George Hamilton's uh, commentary, but we, we'll have a listen to uh, an American point of view.
4: Open most of the day. He's able to flick it on through without anyone touching him. Point couldn't win that, but the Irish do. That one is. Goal! the run of play at Troy Houghton. And again, England go to the long ball over the top. Not cleared well enough by Barese on the header. He's trying to play it out. And an early shot catches Paliuca off his line. And it's a chipper. It's got the backspin on it, and it drops down over the top of Paliuca into the net. Ray Houghton of Aston Villa.
1: A native Scott.
0: And it's a chipper. <laughs> I love their yeah, terms they yeah, use. You yeah.
1: know, the one thing that stands out for me from
0: that match everyone says, you know, what? how good was Paul McGrath? Oh, Paul McGrath was unbelievable. I had, I had clips there. Um, I was going to play at Paul McGrath, but you need to visually see Paul McGrath he when he was in, in it. He had Baggio. Was he with uh,
1: Villa back then? Uh, yes. Was, yeah,
0: yeah. Him, Houghton. Stanton, Townsend Fordham were, were Aston Villa And the wasn't the, who
1: was the great Italian centre-back? Was it Berezi?
0: Berezi And Berezi turned around and said The best centre-back in the world is Paul McGrath but No, without a doubt One of our Not one of our Probably the best Irish player That we've ever Absolutely had Absolutely brilliant to watch Unbelievable we, we take all these people for granted When we have yeah, them And I then know. and then when they're gone uh, Do you remember Georgie Haji's goal Against Colombia? The Romanian, is he? Uh, Yes, and he was from the halfway line out on the left-hand side, basically on the touch line, and seemed to keep her off off his line by about four yards, and walloped it into the top corner, loved it. It was an absolute rocket, and I seen an interview last night, of Of course, he says, yeah, yeah, I meant it, I studied him, he was always coming off his line, so I took a... Why did you think it wasn't? I I I I thought he did... At one stage, then I thought, ah, oh, here—that's—it's just crazy, Anger. But I think I might believe him. I think he actually—he probably did. You, you always he was probably say that you good, us. yeah. You <laughs> have there, <to. laughs> Andreas Escobar, yes, OG, oh, which cost him dearly. That was against the United States. Unfortunately for him, he was uh, assassinated then when he, he went home he because was, there was a was yeah. shot there on July the second. Yeah, I think Pablo Escobar was was, was big. Crime lord in, in Colombia at the time, and I think it's something got to do with him and money they invested on Colombia getting out of the group. Colombia were one of the favorites, it for the was World all to do money yeah, and stuff like that. Was, and Gammon, yeah. yeah, and uh, he paid the price. And a few weeks later, I think not too long later, because they were knocked out, then he paid the price with his life. Uh, I, th- I don't think, and I think that the, the country went wild, it was 120,000 at his uh funeral, so yeah. And you got to 94. Uh, there's one here,
1: um getting away from football and going to athletics. It was on February the twentieth in Boston, Massachusetts. Um Eamon Cochran, at forty one years of age, became the first man over the age of forty to run a sub four minute mile. He clocked it at three fifty-eight fifteen. Um which is fantastic. like that's that's some time. My dad went over the year before. Uh, I think it was in New York, it might have been Madison Square Garden or something. Yeah. And he was there as part of his running club and oh. Eamon Cockland was in my dad's running club at the time. Right. right. So they all went over and Eamon Cockland went to break the record and he didn't do it oh, the no. year before. And I was chatting to my dad last night about it and I said,
0: did you go over for the next year? No, they never, never made it are. over. So what age are you now? I'm 37. And what do you do in Ireland? Oh, I don't know. Well <laughs> <laughs> will <won't> embarrass yourself. <laughs> it's kilometres now. Yeah, oh, it's kilometres. Yeah, yeah, you can't figure it out. Uh, yeah, that's some feat, isn't it? That's fantastic, yeah. And I was watching him in the, uh, again last night in the 83, uh, when he broke the indoor record. Yeah. Uh, great athlete. It'd be interesting to see what, uh, Jim's thoughts on Ian Rand Cocklemer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know? uh, absolutely brilliant for us. George Foreman. George Foreman came back in, uh, 1994. was actually, think it might be 93 he came back. He fought Evander Holyfield mm. and, uh, I think, did Hollyfield beat him? No, he beat Hollyfield. He beat Hollyfield, but, uh, um, Hollyfield knocked him down in the third round. But, Foreman went on to fight Michael Moore, uh, in, ooh, Las Vegas, who was for the world championship title. He was 45, and might have been 46, might have been touching on it, um, at the time, to be one of the oldest, or the oldest, heavyweight champion of the world. And he did it. And this is how he did it. <laughs>
5: They must, they must be reasonably pleased but uh, offering some advice better stuff from Foreman oh what a shot oh my goodness oh the left and then the right to the point of the chin and Moorer's done Joe Cortez pushes Foreman back and his lip is cut he's not going to make it Michael Moorer has gone to lose is going to lose the title on the very first offence and George Foreman 46 years old good grief goes down in supplication, the impossible dream they said it was, and George Foreman has done the impossible, Michael Moorer doesn't really know what has gone on. He
0: and he's world champion, at 46 years of age, that is unbelievable, uh, after being world champion in the 70s, and he came back, he said he'd come back in his 50s, I don't know if he came back in his 50s to do it again, uh, he did certainly didn't win it, but I don't know if he did come back in his 50s, but... 46 years of age and he was losing on points and just before that uh, clip started uh, when they went into the ring the coroner told him listen George you're behind on points here you need to knock him out yeah he duly obliged (laughs) 46 okay I think we'll go to our last song from 94 we've got a little Irish kick to it who was it Gav?
1: it's uh, The Cranberries Will Linger (laughs)
0: Welcome back to the big kickoff on Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. You might be listening in on TuneIn Radio, hopefully. If you're listening on the podcast, well, obviously you can pause it at any time you want and go get that cup of tea that you desperately need. In the studio this morning, we are blessed with greatness, with success in at- athletics with Derval Rourke to major titles in Hurling with Tipperary and Wexford, and leaving his footprint on rugby and with football in Ireland, Jim Kilty is truly one of the greatest coaches Ireland has ever had to look to be graced with. To talk all things sport and to throw a few memories into the mix and being the gentleman he is, Jim has joined us this morning. Jim, welcome to the big kickoff.
3: Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Roy.
0: No problem. Listen, uh, it's, it's been, it's really hard to know, and I've thought about this, where to start this interview, all right? Uh, you, such an impressive record, and I think, we'll go through a lot of your highlights in a moment but can you tell me where your love and this could, going back a few years now Jim when did your love of sport first begin?
3: Well if you talk to my brothers and sisters when I was about 12 I got his shears and out the back I cut a running track and they were from 2 to 10 and I had them running around breaking records and <laughs> I used to time them with the old alarm clock <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. and, <laughs> Uh, so even at that stage, uh, I remember at about the age of 11, winning at 200 meters in Park Tolton, uh, a school 200 meters, and um, I just felt that athletics was going to be my sport. Now, I was lucky enough, I played uh, Gaelic football, uh, street leagues in Navin, and I remember starting in second class but when I got to my final class which was seventh class which was the scholarship class uh, I eventually my team Flower Hill won but we were blessed to have the presence of Eamon Giles who is um, Trevor Giles' father Uh, he was one of those country boys and he could have been put on any team so after five years of trying to win uh, the street leagues which would be two hurling two football every year I eventually won it uh, the last year, and I remember being asked to wait for the medal I had been wait, wait, waiting for for five years, and the De La Salle brother just threw a big packet of hurleys out, and he says, "We're going to give you the hurley instead of a medal this year," <laughs> and it was the biggest disappointment in my life. <laughs> okay.
0: Like the oldest trick in the book. Get them in. Huh? <laughs> um, yeah, I mentioned um, I mentioned this to a lot of people, and when we put it out there about the the show and the gym you were coming on, um I got a lot of people who praised you and uh, and your personality. A lot of people talked about how how great it was to be in your company, how it was to to feed off you. I was talking to Joe McGrath. Uh, football, and he told me to say hello to you. Yeah,
3: how is Joe? Joe was
0: great. Joe was great. We're going to get him on. He'll, Good. He'll, he'll tell a few stories. And
3: you'll, you'll have to get a
0: number for him because we're due a cup of coffee. <laughs> I'll, g- I'll, I'll give you the number straight <laughs> after <laughs> the show. No, absolutely okay. no problem. Uh, Al McGovern was up in, in, in uh, he used to work with the FAI, and, and again, all praise for you. But what people or coaches um, have you learned most from? Uh,
3: well, Kieran Coakley was a sprinter I coached <coughs> but he was also a PE teacher and he had a very deep knowledge of speed Right. Uh, like when I started coaching first I was a middle distance coach I joined Dublin City Harriers when I came to Dublin in 1974 but they had very little uh, sprinting uh, coaching in the club so Kieran asked me to help him out with uh, coached himself. He was a very talented sprinter and the next year he eventually equaled the Irish record of 10.5 and, uh, which was hand timed at the time and he won his first and only national championship I think in 76. But uh, that's where I started and I started working with a group of sprinters and a group of distance runners and we were very, very success, successful over the following number of years yeah. and uh, we built up a great tradition in Dublin City Harriers with the likes of Dermot Nagel. But another man who influenced me a lot was Dr Liam Hennessy, uh, the owner of Satanta College, and uh, he introduced me to someone like Dietmar Schmidt who who is a professor of sports science who kind of works in the area of speed and strength, in the area of power development. And I also met a very interesting Italian guy in the same area. His name was Carmelo Bosco. Poor Carmelo died about six, seven years ago from brain cancer. But he was a genius. In fact, he was the first man who began to test for speed. Since 1924, they've been testing for stamina and VO2 max and all of these things. But Bosco in 1993 was the first man to realise that a standing long jump or a counter-movement jump could predict your ability at speed. So that's where I kind of began to get interested in the 90s, in the whole area of speed. And uh, I kind of took it from there. But Kieran Coakley, Liam Hennessy, Smith Bleicher. These would be kind of the influences that I've worked on and who, that have helped me develop my ideas on training and training for particularly for field sports.
0: A, 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 would I be right, a partnership with, with Lame developed over the years then? Oh,
3: it did. It developed over the years and uh, we did a lot of kind of research and testing, but we never published really. Uh, We only published one article, which was on the stretch shortening cycle, the difference between the long stretch shortening cycle and the short stretch shortening cycle, uh, which is more or less plyometrics. But we have this kind of mechanical energy in the body where if we contract uh, a muscle and then release it, you get a greater force than if you just normally Release the energy, yeah, and um, that was the only one we ever published, but we did a lot of work together, and this kind of formulated my ideas on speed and above all on the ability to repeat speed yeah, yeah. like i 'm one of these guys who think that there 's very little stamina in soccer
0: yeah yeah because you I, know I, I, I obviously did a bit of reading up and i 'm um, a neuromuscular therapist myself, so. Oh. So obviously it's the neuromuscular system that you would be talking about in, in general rather than the, the, the cardiovascular and stuff like that.
3: Yeah, uh, like a lot of people think that it's the cardiovascular system. There's this type of training called the mass system of training, maximum aerobic system of training, and it's taken a grip on all the soccer teams in Amer- in, in England. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And really when you look at it, sometimes a team wins by a goal and that one goal could be a pass from a guy who's standing still and he just splits the defence because he sees the run. And here are we going on developing cardiovascular uh, intensity and uh, cardiovascular endurance etc. And really it's decision making at the right time, uh, in the right place with the right ball and being able to constantly uh, repeat the tackles and the speed and the jumps and the explosiveness yep. throughout a game so my top end speed or my theory on top end speed for Gaelic hockey soccer rugby is what I call speed repeatability the ability to repeat skill effort and speed irregularly but consistently irregularly yep. throughout a game
0: yeah
3: yeah. we won't go too much into that just yet
0: because I, <laughs> I want to yep. get there yeah. But I want to get around where you came from. So you you are a former athletics director of coach and for 10 years yeah. uh track and field coach at the 98 Seoul Olympics to 2006 Atlanta Olympics. So how did that come about and what changes do you, did you implement straight away? Well,
3: first of all, I was a teacher. Yeah. I a primary school teacher and um when the Fianna Fáil government, oh, I forget what year. Around in the late 80s they were looking to introduce uh, professional coaches into sport and Frank Fahey of Galway was the junior minister for sport and he spoke with myself and he asked me would I become the first uh, full-time coach and become the director of coaching in Athletics Ireland and we tried to join up Dr. Ariwell uh, Sfigniew Ariwell, who was a Polish athlete and a, p- a very talented Polish coach, came to Ireland in charge of the NSEA. And at that stage, there was a kind of a split in Irish athletics, the NSEA and BLE. And then we had the schools and all operating independently. So the government tried to bring all that together, which eventually led in many ways to the formation of Athletics Ireland. Right. But I got into it as my first job in Athletics Ireland was the national coach for 400 and 800, 800 metres because we hadn't anyone breaking 49 seconds for the 400 right. and we were finding it hard to break 150 for the 800. So I took that job on uh, under Robin Sykes, uh, who was the director of coaching at the time uh, from from Wales. But um I kind of made a success of that, and when Robin retired, I was then offered the job of director of coaching, and I took that on on a voluntary basis, and then in 1990, I became full-time.
0: Okay. Yeah. And what, what did you implement first, straight off? What was it? did you see? Well,
3: the first thing I felt was that we needed to increase coach education. Okay. So I worked very hard on developing foundation level one, level two, and at the time, we were the first federation to provide a level three coaching course all within a number of years and um this was based on the national training center down in nimrick they developed what was called the ncdp the national coaching development program right. and they had six people from outside and six people from academia and i remember joe McGraw represents a soccer i yeah. was with athletics um the guy who's now working in Italy, uh, Stephen Abood represented rugby, Pat Daly represented um, uh, GAA and then there was two other outsiders and we were part of the group that worked on the National Coaching Development Programme and we produced it around 1996, I would say around that time and all the federations then kind of rode in behind that programme and it was up to me then to implement that programme in athletics and that's what i i did at that time okay. now one of the things i did notice was that we were lacking in the whole area of explosiveness right and at that time at that time terry McHugh was developing as a great javelin thrower uh sweeney uh, was developing as a brilliant discus thrower uh niall sweeney so they uh, had the technique yes yeah, they things. had they had the, the technique but they needed to develop power and explosiveness. T.J. Kearns, uh, Patricia Ammond, uh, Michelle, um, Michelle Walsh and all these, they were all around in the 80s. But we were kind of treating them as kind of little middle distance runners. Yeah. And we were doing stamina during the winter and then beginning to do the speed. And Ciarán Coakley was, kept preaching with me was that he would we need to do speed all the year round. And so one of my first things as Director of Coaching Athletics was to appoint Ciarán as the national sprints coach. And that was a real big red flag day for Irish athletics because sprinting has now taken almost as many medals in the last number of years as the middle distance tradition we've had. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, like we've been very lucky with Paul McKee, um, like we've had many, many medals, particularly in the 400, but we've also had Derbal, we've also had TJ Kearns, S- uh, Sean Cal, some great sprinters and sprint hurdlers as well as just 400 meter runners. So, Kieran Coakley, I feel, was one of the people who got that tradition started because he convinced me of what was needed. Yeah. So, what I did then was I started bringing in for weekends coaches from Germany and Britain. For instance, Bruce Longdon, who coached Sally Gunnell to win the 400 metres gold medal in Barcelona, he used to come over October, November, December for a weekend, and I'd bring the best 50 or 60 sprints, hurdles athletes down for the weekend to Nina. And that was a brilliant track thanks to Sean Norton and the crowd down in Nina but without that with that we I don't think we'd have progressed yeah. and obviously the building of the indoor facility in Santry was the next step forward because it meant we could train all year round outside of being in the wet and the, the rain but um so i also brought brought in some coaches from germany and we brought in the guy who was in, ch- in charge of coach education of all the sprinters in Germany and he came in five or six times and not only would I bring 50 or 60 athletes down I also targeted 10 coaches
6: right
3: and I made sure that they worked with Kiran when these coaches came in that there'd be a lecture for the coaches etc and I feel kind of in the early late 80s early 90s that's how we got a kind of the grip on how to coach sprints. That was the foundation That was it. the foundation for it all, yeah. So obviously you mentioned Dervil.
0: Yeah. And uh, how, how did you start working with Dervil? And um, again, what did you instantly see in her that you could instantly change?
3: Um, Dervil was unlucky in the sense that she was in Cork when I started working with her first. And she had a very good coach down there, John Sheehan. But she had never done weights, and you really like speed is when I was a young coach, speed was defined as stride length by stride frequency, so if you could take three strides in a second and you were eight feet in a stride or seven feet yeah. three by seven, your speed was twenty one feet per second right, and you either had to increase your stride length or increase the number of steps you took per second if you wanted to get faster yeah now. One was power, and the other was uh, your nervous system. But if you overdo the stride length, you lose out on the, 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 the the stride rate, so you have to be careful. But later on, I came across a better definition of speed, and that was the power you can exert on the ground at foot contact, and how long it takes to exert that force. Right. So that tells you what to train. So you can increase the power in the weights room, then afterwards with the plyometrics, etc. And you have to work on the nervous system. The problem for Durville when she came first to me was you can't increase stride length because you have to take three strides. Like her race is 40, 42 st- steps and yeah. you can't shorten it. Yes. So here was I trying to develop a very talented young lady with one hand tied behind my back, in the sense we had to work on her nervous system and on her technique. Now, a lady from America that I met called Emily Foster, she was one of those people who could almost evaluate movement by looking at someone. She didn't need the computers and things like that. And she noticed that Durban, when she pushed off the foot off the ground, her driving foot, that she turned her foot out. And as a result, when you turn your foot out, a greater proportion of your foot touches the ground, which means you're spending too long a time on the ground. So one of the things she did was to develop her glute muscles, uh, make the periformis on her takeoff side much more flexible so that she could drive straight at the hurdle. And this, I think, was one of the things that led to that. Okay. And I remember Derville ran the under-23s championships, and Emily Foster was over in Ireland, and I brought her down to show the Rocket Cashel, because we were going down to Cork for something or other. Oh, yeah, we were, the next day, we were meeting the Munster rugby team. And um, we were up on top of the, the Rocket Cashel when I get this phone call from Derville. She was so excited she had broken 13 seconds for the first time but she only finished fourth right and she twisted her ankle and it was three weeks before the athens olympic games so when she came home she slept downstairs in my house set her alarm for 90 every 90 minutes and she got up and put her ankle in ice water didn't that? yeah so that through the night, to get the swelling down. Yeah. Now, she actually ran in that Olympic Games in Athens disastrously, very poorly, shall we say. It was yeah. a disaster. Yeah. But I wanted her to go there so that she would get the concept of the Olympic Games and World Championships out of her system. Yeah, it's experience. It's experience. So that the next time she went, she would go kind of to win. Yeah. Now, I remember in... Um, 2006, we were in Portugal, and she was almost in tears that she couldn't get over the hurdle correctly, her ability. And I remember putting this little plastic hurdle down in front of the long jump pit, and she running up and jumping over it and trying to get a full kind of good stride over it and things like, so that she would drive at it. And um, but anyway, around the first Tuesday in February. Derva was very lucky. She had a great training companion in Kira Sheehy. Yeah. Kira was a very talented athlete, a great 200-meter runner, ran 23.02 in Blue Fontail in South Africa, a uh, very, very good run. And she, um, because of that, they were able to train together. But I remember we used to do, every now and then, they would get three attempts at a standing long jump into the long jump pit. And they'd be jumping about 240. Derville would t- 242, Kira 246, that type of distance. But that Tuesday, Kira jumped 262. So Derville turn was next, and she jumped 268. Oh, hey. So I remember saying to her driving home, she used to live in a house across the road from Santry, she bought a house there, and, uh, or she was thinking of buying a house there. So I said to her, Get rid of your phone, change your number, and I'll take all phones. And she says, why? I says, because you're going to win a medal in Moscow three weeks later. Now, I didn't think it would be gold. But she had run uh, 792, and uh, she went over to Moscow and ran 784. But one of the things I thought that helped Dervil win that gold medal was the fact that I wasn't there or no one was there, no coach was there who knew much about hurdles. Okay. And sometimes you, 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 you weren't there. Yeah, I wasn't there. Where no. were you? I was with Wexford team down playing Offaly in Burr on a wet day and I rushed in to try and get the, the thing on television to find that it wasn't on television because the hotel down in Burr opposite the pitch was renovating oh, no. and they only had once TV screen and I was watching soccer <laughs> so I had to run into the car and I listened to it and I remember um, listening to the race I was so thrilled listening to listen um, to uh, my friend uh, oh Greg Allen Yeah, yeah. I, I used to coach Greg in the 800 metres so I walked in anyway to the hotel so proud as punch and just as I walked into the, to the room it was very odd the two teams were actually sitting down and eating dinner together and um, there was a big clap because uh, they had heard they had on the radio yeah. that Dervil had won. So I walked in and with that Derville rings me and I started crying and I was so embarrassed in <laughs> <laughs> front of the Offaly and Wexford teams but it was a great
0: feeling. Yeah, it was a great feeling. Brilliant. I'm going to go quickly to an ad break and we'll come back. You're listening
4: to Liffey Side on 96.4 FM.
0: Yes, it's the big kickoff on Liffey Sound 96.4 and we have Jim Keelty in with us today. Uh, Jim is definitely not afraid to talk. (laughs) Listen, Jim, athletics, uh, obviously huge in athletics, but you did start to dab in the the GAA world and was Tipperary your first
3: jump into it? Yes, the first time I I ever trained a team, it was Tipperary 2001 and I got a phone call. Asked me to ring Nicky English so I it took me nearly three weeks to eventually get Nicky and when I did get him he said he'd ring back so we met in um, the Burlington Hotel and um, in December 2000 and I remember I was heading off to Poland with a group of athletes at Christmas time and I was due back on the 10th and Tiberi would start back on the 10th of January so I I I had to change my flight. I came home on the, f- on the 9th and I began training Tipperary on the 10th of January 2001. And And we're very interesting year that year was, we played 18 games, challenges and everything, and we never lost a game. Not one? Not one. We drew with most of our B team playing against Limerick, but we won every game. We won the Munster Championship, we won the National League and we won the Ireland. Oh, the Ireland
0: so when you were when when you went in with them and uh, I know I read a little bit about this so I kind of know w- what you did but when you went in what was the the fundamentals that you said right uh, this is what we need to change this is because it gets tactical then as well as um, as well as you're looking at your speed and agility you're, you're thinking it's the tactical aspect of, of a game and it's different obviously than athletics so when what did you change and when did you see it develop in the, how quickly
3: well first of all um very interesting uh i decided that i would make about 140 metre runs as my stamina okay and i would group them in runs of 10 runs and 12 runs in a set so we run 40 jog 20 run 40 jog and we do 10 uh, 10 runs in a set and uh we'd get up to 15, 16 sets and we'd have half time. So if I was doing uh, 40 runs after 20, we'd have a 10 minute break where we'd do a bit of core, a bit of uh, boxing into the tackle bags, a uh, little bit of press ups and then like in the game. Yeah. And I remember one time getting up and we actually did about 140 runs one night in April. And I never used the ball. Because I wasn't allowed to use the ball. Being a meat man, you can't... I couldn't become the coach of the Tipperary team. I was only the physical trainer. But my idea was the concept of being able to repeat efforts on the field of play. Yeah. However, very interestingly, we went on to win the championship that year. But when I went to Wexford, it came. I kind of got this feeling that 10 to 12 runs in a set was too many. That the quality would drop. So then we started, I started doing five or six runs in a, ste- in a set before we'd have a minute break to keep the quality of the runs between 90 and maybe 94, 95% effort. And I never went more than 100 runs in a training session for an inter-county team, 70 minutes. Yeah. But that particular year, Wexford actually beat Kilkenny in the, in the championship with that last-minute goal. And I just feel that we were much sharper than Kilkenny that day. And we stayed with them all the way until there was uh, two minutes to go. And I was on the sideline giving out the water and looking after the hurls. And Adrian Fenling came over to take the sideline cut. And Adrian was well known for his ability to put them over the bar from the yeah. sideline. And all I said to Adrian was, Don't, oh yeah, we were a point behind. Don't pull it over the bar. They'll beat the hell out of us the next day. <laughs> Drop it in the square. Now, I don't know if you heard me or not. Yeah. But Peter Barry caught it. And Mick Jacob blocked him down with real real good reflex. Cut the ball and put it in the back of the net. Game over. But, uh, yes, in 2001, it was a great experience to go down, working with someone like as famous as Nicky English. Yeah. Working with the likes of John Lahey, Tommy Dunn, and all those. Owen Kelly. Owen was only a young fella at that stage. He was 19 but interestingly enough, we trained twice a week, and we played a challenge match, or we trained at the weekend. We never did any weights. Yeah, it was pure skill, and uh, you were talking about tactics. Nikki believed everyone had to win their own ball, and that's it. But it, isn't, isn't that a, a thing though? With, with uh, when you look at soccer, I
0: hate calling it soccer right uh, football, football, and you look at say hurling and, and Gaelic football, that especially with hurling that they have each player nearly has their own zone you won't see there's no such thing as a box to box so it isn't really a cardiovascular experience that it is the short and sharp that you have an area within that you're going to
3: play with so is that the reason why you think it was so successful well possibly but they, they, they were a good set of hurlers. Now, I met one tip man there recently, and he said, Jim, I think that was the weakest team that ever won in All-Ireland. Well, <laughs> that's very good. Like, that's high praise for their fitness yeah, levels, if that's yeah. the case. But I thought they were a very skillful team. But, like, in soccer, you can give a pass, or in Gaelic football, you can give a pass, and you can overlap. Yeah. Like, Leinster do it all the time. Yeah. Uh, uh, Sexton... To, it used to be Darcy, and then he'd loop around, and then he'd give to it out back, the yeah. give it out the next guy. But in hurling, when you strike the ball, there's no way you can overlap. No, no, <laughs> you know, not. the ball's gone fifty, sixty yards. So yes, uh, I'm a great believer, as I said, in the ability to repeat speed, and the difference between hurling on one hand. And Gaelic football and football, on the other hand, is that you can overlap in in football and in Gaelic football. And so there's a greater demand on the ability to repeat effort for a longer period of time, for five or six seconds. But this thing where you're running for kind of 15 seconds hard, 15 seconds easy... Like no one really has to run because if you're running properly, you'll cover the length of Crow Park in 15 seconds. Yeah, you know, are very close to it. So um, I still believe in the concept of the ability to repeat skill, effort, repeat tackles, etc. Uh, but obviously, each game has its own physical demands on the player.
0: Yeah, yeah,
3: and. Hurling is separate from football, which is different from Gaelic football. Yeah,
0: well, I think re- repetition in, in any sport is uh, is the key to success because um, you look at you look at football; they'll do pattern plays uh, for football, uh, and it's just that repeating that to know where you are to 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 teach your mind to visually see a, a pattern movement. So what you and in in are doing is teaching the body do those similar pattern movements
3: yeah well you know there are three stages of skill learning and one of them is where this the skill becomes automatic yeah and you only get this through the repetition of practice mm. so you keep doing something you keep doing something you keep some, doing something now that's skill but if you keep doing thing something you get very fit at doing that thing and that's where the physical fitness element yeah, yeah. of repetition comes in Jim sorry just one, one question there Um you you
1: talk a lot about like um like sports science um physical aspect of the game stuff like that. How important is nutrition, and is it something that you've introduced in your coaching techniques and stuff like that?
3: Yes, it is. I I think I learned more about nutrition from Dara O'Rourke than she did from me. But I remember we sitting down and um, there would be just before she won the world championship that particular winter. She decided that she was going to tackle her, her, um, her diet and her nutritional aspects. It's not something that I'm fully qualified in, but I do pay it respects and I do have my theories on it. And uh, but I also use people to send my athletes to uh, from time to time if they need some kind of program adjustment in their nutrition. You know, uh, like. At the end of the day, we can only burn the fuel that we have. Yeah. Now if you put diesel into a a petrol car, things go wrong. wrong. And it's the same with the the old engine. I often feel the body is kind of like a motor car. And the oil that keeps the, the the engine running, well that's the fluid and the water we take in. But the petrol or the diesel we take in, that's, they're the carbohydrates that we take in. Now the protein that we take in, that moves our engine from a 1.6 to a 1.8 to a two-litre yeah, engine. Yeah, yeah. And so we need to be able to uh, maximize a kind of fluid intake, uh, protein, and carbohydrate mix for each particular sport.
0: Yeah. What, what does, uh, actually, uh, I was talking to, uh, it was Alan McGovern actually and he told me that he's seen uh, the rugby, who were you with, Leinster was it? And I was with Leinster. Were you yeah. with the, the, the Irish set up at all? No, no. never. But he had seen, uh, they were set up a certain, certain way that they had their breakfast, uh, I think it was heavy breakfast, they so were having fries and stuff like that mm. and you were introduced and the next morning there was a lot of cereal, there was a, lot of, a lot of different things that they had to get used to instantly and he said, I called it that night, He says, that is going to change straight away and it did. So you'll say that you don't know the nutritional side but I think you do and you think you are willing to implement it. Uh, listen, uh, what frustrates you about Irish sports? Uh, like, I know grants with athletics can be, uh, can be very frustrating, is there anything that frustrates you? <laughs>
3: Well first of all is overtraining really frustrates me and the abuse of the number of games young people have to play and that just doesn't apply to Gaelic games. I yeah. know Gaelic games are in the radar of everyone at the moment, of yeah. the media etc. But it is a serious issue. Yeah. Like I remember last year working with the Tipperary ladies and we had five or six on the panel who were still in Leaving And they were playing inter-provincial football and trying to train with us. They were playing inter-provincial and colleges football and camogie and they were still trying to train with us. And then they'd go home and they'd play camogie and football maybe on the same day. Yeah. Like uh, one team that I'm kind of involved with, Kappa White, ladies football team in Tipperary, their semi-final, which was to be on last week, has been rescheduled and it's on the same day that the team plays the first round ah, of the Camogie, geez. The exact same time and the exact same, and that club has to make a decision. Yeah. So uh, these things, really the over kind of in use of the players. I worked with Manute Hurling there at one stage and some of those players would be on the Dublin panel, the Kildare panel. They'd be with their clubs and every manager wants them. Yeah. No one will say, "Hold on, you're training there," so that's great. Do parents have a uh, have a? Uh,
0: are, are, do you think they're a fault for over using? I suppose it's great that that kids can go to boxing, kickboxing, rugby, Gaelic football, but are they? do they forget about the rest for their kids? Do you
3: think? Yeah, I think they forget about the rest. Now, first of all. It's
0: saying that computer sorry, it's saying that computer games etc are are really bad for you, and if they're out doing loads of sports, it's really good for you. But surely there's a mix to everything.
3: Yeah, now doing loads of sports is good, mm. but doing lo- loads of competitive sports isn't that good. Yeah, like it's important that a child doesn't play one sport. That's my view. That is called early spe- specialization. Yeah. I'm a great believer in late specialisation, where a child uh, learns and participates in a fun and enjoyable way in as many sports as possible, whether that's football, gaily football, hurling, bit of rugby, bit of boxing, a little bit of martial arts. And the more activities the child does, the more motor skills they learn. Now, when that child becomes 16, 17, 18, the motor skill Uh, development of the player helps him or her to be a better specialist in their own chosen sport then from 16 up to adult, into adult age so while mixing sport is good, it's this kind of competitive streak now I was giving a course down in Kildare Town on a speed academy I have five of them planned one of them is just finished last week and this guy came in to me and I said to him, well, who are you training with last night? I was with the soccer team. And you, his friend, I was training with the Gaelic team. And I said, oh, did the Gaelic coach not mind? Did he not want it?" And he says, no, I'm training for soccer, so I'm going to yeah, be fit. Yeah. Now, that's a very understanding coach. Yeah. But that's the problem with our 6 to 14-year-olds that the managers and the coaches of the various teams have to pay heed to what has been done, what the child is doing for the rest of the week. Now, I'm involved a little bit with the awfully under-15s through a good friend of mine, Liam Hogan, who's helping out down there. And they're getting all the players to fill out a little computer programme to say what they're doing each day of the week. And it's absolutely frightening. The amount they're doing. The amount of things that they're doing.
0: You know? um, again, you will find, because I will find uh, parents coming in with children to me, now it would be at an age where the muscle is developing and stretching, and so 14, 15, 16, where they're coming in with injuries and they can't understand it. Why is he injured? What's And then they'll give me the list of, of actually what they are doing during the week and there is no rest in between. And as you said, it's competitive because they want they think that there's a chance that billy is going to make either a great fo- football player a great hurler a great boxer and they're all competitive competitive highly competitive so there is no break where maybe at that age you can nearly be focused on your your one or two sports one competitive anyhow
3: yeah like i think a very important aspect that we had my age group growing up and it, that was that there was loads of time for free play yeah and free play is just as important as organized play and the problem for the present-day child is it's very hard for him to design free play because we're limited like in Navin, i could get across the back wall and into a field yeah where we could kick football and things like that so it's limited now especially in cities and especially in high-rise flats like, you can't just go out and play football no, and anywhere.
0: and the parents don't want them out in the road. Yeah, and they playing. don't want them out there. Yeah.
3: Like, I remember playing five-a-side outside my, my house in Flower Hill, Navon. And every ten minutes, we might sh- we'd might shout, L-O-B, look out behind, uh, because there was a car coming. Now, that same road is now uh, a two-way, one-way road with two lanes. Yeah. And a cat wouldn't cross the road. Yeah, yeah. But, like, free play has definitely disintegrated in it the present and as a result children are being brought to to organise sport now organised sport where fun and enjoyment and development of skill is is the, is the key or is, is the main aim is brilliant but organise sports where everyone wants to win yeah really that's the problem
0: and that is the problem and <clears throat> again we used to play football morning Noon and night and be dragged in to play, you know, we play, we play about six games a day, you know, yeah. so that isn't there and you're right and that's, self-taught is, I mean, any footballers, Gaelic footballers who who played years ago, they were self-taught, you know, and yeah. again, that's true. repetitive actions and, and yeah. figuring it out themselves. Yeah. yeah. Jim, this is absolutely killing me because I'm going to have to say goodbye and we, we haven't even got halfway through everything we wanted to talk about, so we certainly won't leave it there. We'll definitely have you back on. Um, I want to pick your brain a lot more than we have today, but it, it's a good foundation from, for us because uh, we know a lot more about you and we know a lot more about your thought process. So,
3: Actually, um, you, oh, you have a, a, a website, is that correct? That's right. I, I, I run a Premier Sports College, www.premiersportscollege.com. And my main course there is a strength and conditioning course where the aim is that you don't miss training, you do everything at home, even the, the video um, lectures are online. And, uh, however, I've introduced something new there recently which is strength and conditioning for the juveniles up to under 12. Brilliant. Now, it should never have been called strength and conditioning, but that's how I introduce because it should be all about what's called athletic or multilateral development yep. where we develop the child and the multifacets of that child and then at 12 we present to football to Gaelic football to rugby a fabulous athlete who can really develop the skills now you can still use football or Gaelic football or hurling yep. as the medium from 6, 7, 8, 9 ten, but the emphasis should be on the child development and that's a very interesting kind of series of courses. I get a lot of uh, students coming in, even from the likes of America and places like that, doing the courses. But my overall aim is to make it as cheap as it can possibly be and get out the information.
0: Uh, no doubt, get onto that website because no doubt there's, it's uh, full of information that will benefit every athlete. OK, listen, Jim, thanks very much for your time and uh, we'll take a break.
1: You're listening to
4: Liffey Sound, www.liffeysoundfm.ie. Listen online, community radio at its best.
0: And welcome back to the big kickoff on 96.4 FM Liffey Sound. You could talk to Jim all day and unfortunately we didn't have all day uh, and we had to cut a couple of segments out because jim's been so fascinatingly interesting um but just on the fancy football league i don't think we'll get to touch on it too much, Gav. We have a big kickoff fancy football league uh set up don't we
1: yeah we do we We have it set up so um everybody who is familiar with the fancy Premier League should know how to join the league, so the code for the league is seven six seven zero four three dash four eight six nine seven
0: two Um, Roy, you'll post that on the Facebook page for people to join. That'll be up this evening. We'll put that up. Um, Again, we were looking at some of the some of the fancy football players that uh, maybe maybe might creep into your team. We've a lot of new players: Lacazette, Babayoko, Morata, Ian Nacho for Leicester. Um, So you'll be looking out for the for the best. He's flagging as possibly injured. Ayanacho, yeah, I, I, I do believe he came off after 18 minutes yeah, of his debut. So. Um, and of course you have the new teams, Huddersfield, Brighton and, and Newcastle, who might bring you that bargain player, just that one player. That I might have different. one player, uh, believe it or not, a guy I work with from Huddersfield. Oh, And he was
1: over for the playoffs and stuff like that. And I, I went and I chatted to him there on Friday because I was sort of stuck. Um, so I picked his brain and he said a guy called Steve Mooney, his name is, I think he could be... I don't know where he's from, anyway, but he's a uh, record signing for 11.4 million, and he's dirt cheap on the fantasy football. No, so that's, that's one to keep I'm an gonna, eye over.
0: I'm going to stick him in just to see how he goes. Okay. And you always have your one team each year that is kind of the mid-priced, overachieving team, uh, value for money. And I, my feeling this year that it's going to be Everton who are going to do that. And you have players like Lukeman, who's 5.5 million. Uh, Michael Keane, five point five million, and even Wayne Rooney, a seven point five million. If the finger comes out, he might actually be a, a good boy, and that might be one of your players that you might squeeze in. and I'll, might. I'll, I'll give put it him it. in the week that uh, Everton are playing. You know, in hand Liverpool. <laughs> OK, listen, we wanted to talk more about fancy football, but we'll start it next week. Get on to the Facebook page. We'll put that code back up. Listen back on the podcast if you want to, to get it there. And with Jim Kilty, we'll get him back on again because he was highly interesting and we only touched on store for certain. Yeah. OK, we'll finish off with a song. What have
1: we got, Gav? Uh, um, it's Cigarettes and Alcohol by Oasis, and it's from 1994. Can you believe that? No.